Welcome to the Leadership Insights Podcast, the podcast that takes you on a journey into the world of leadership, offering a deep dive into the minds of accomplished leaders from various fields around the world. I'm your host, Amanda Jane, originally from the north of Ireland and now living in beautiful Cheshire, England. Together, we'll explore the strategies, experiences, and wisdom that have shaped these incredible leaders into the visionaries they are today through solo episodes and interviews. I'm a leadership and communications coach myself, and I'm passionate about promoting a coaching culture in the workplace, as well as empowering leaders to flourish personally and thrive professionally. Whether you're a seasoned executive, an aspiring leader in business, or someone simply fascinated by the art of leadership, each episode will provide valuable insights, practical tips, and inspiring stories. So get ready for a dose of motivation, innovation, and leadership brilliance on the Leadership Insights Podcast, brought to you by amandajane.co.uk. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Leadership Insights Podcast and today I have with me Dr Nia Thomas and she also has her own leadership podcast, Knowing Self, Knowing Others. Hello Nia. Hello, thank you for having me. It's lovely to join you. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this. So you have a blog podcast and you've also got a book coming out soon as well. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But before we get into the nitty gritty, have you got a favourite motivational song? Motivational song. Okay. It would probably be Pencil Full of Lead by Paolo Nettini. Now, I've managed to do something with my Alexa. So every night at half past five, Paolo Nottini switches itself on in my living room and I'm oh, that's it I'm just dancing to that so I think that's probably it that is a fantastic <laughs> idea I'm not familiar with that song but it's probably one that I've heard and I don't know the title but that is a brilliant idea scheduled to come on at 5 30 every evening that is genius yeah and my problem is I don't quite know how to turn it off <laughs> but hey you know it's a start yeah, not a lot of people know this. You can set it that if your partner snores in the lounge when you're trying to watch TV, it automatically says, please stop snoring. <laughs> I'll definitely remember that one. <laughs> it's so good. And do you have a favourite motivational quote? Yeah. Be nice to people on the way up because you might meet them on the way down. Very wise. I think it keeps you humble and it keeps you it keeps your feet on the floor. Yes, that is very wise. I like that. And do you have a favourite book? And it doesn't have to be motivational. Book, really tricky, really tricky. I'm I'm down to three. So <laughs> I've got The Infinite Game, Simon Sinek, uh, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown, and You, Me, We by Morag Barrett and her colleagues, Eric and Ruby. So that's where I am at the minute. However, I've got a stack of 12 books that I'm going to go through this year, one a month. And I may have a different answer in 12 months time. Exactly. It's so hard to choose. I've read yep. Brene Brown one. It's it's fantastic and really really good much in it yeah Mm -hmm. there is a lot in that and it yeah I could probably read it three times and still have more to unpack Simon Sinek I will pick that one up next and there's always I've got a list as long as my arm and it is hard to choose and yes next week there'll be a different one but they're really good I I will give those a try thank you (laughs) can you share a little bit of your leadership journey with me and some key milestones have shaped your career absolutely 
So I've been in the world of work 25 years this year, I realised, and I started my work career in the NHS. So my undergraduate degree was law and Japanese, and I had big ideas of, of joining a law firm that would have uh, um, offices in London and offices in Tokyo, and I could bounce wow. between the two. But life sometimes gets in, gets the, way. in the way. Absolutely. And during the summer holidays, I took a, a summer job. Um, and I thought it was going to be at um, an NHS GP surgery being some sort of receptionist, but it discovered that it was an NHS trust. And at that time, I didn't know what NHS trusts were, mm -hmm. but I absolutely loved the job. So at the end of the summer, I decided I wasn't going back to university and I hung around, moved to different NHS trusts, worked my way up for a few years. Then I was lucky enough to jump over into local authority because there were some early years preschool programs being developed in Wales and stayed with early years for probably about 12 years in Wales and jumped to England five years ago. So listeners will probably hear in my voice that I'm Welsh through and through. <laughs> so the majority of my career was spent in Wales in the public sector. And then I moved to England. We've been here nearly five years now. So I worked in Great Ormond Street in civil service. And now I'm a director of a children's charity. So there's a there's a theme that runs through it. And it's always about supporting people who need that support. And in the last 15, 16 years, it's been about children and particularly preschool children. So that's what I do. And how I do it is underpinned by everything that you said at the very top of the show, which is my blog, podcast and my book. So I have an interest in self-awareness, leader effectiveness and leadership at all levels. And in 2016, I decided to go back to university and I did my doctorate. And the more I was looking into those subjects, they sort of morphed and became what I now call self-aware leadership. Mm -hmm. So what I do is director of a children's charity and the way I do it is through self-aware leadership. Self-aware leadership. Now that's very interesting to me. So how do you find that subject gets received? I think people are very interested in it because self-awareness, as far as I'm concerned, starts with you. It starts with you as an individual and you have a that opportunity to change how you behave so that it impacts others in a more positive way. And every time I talk to people about it, they are often thinking about people around them who aren't self-aware. And I think they are interested in being able to articulate what self-awareness is, talk to other people about it, raise it as a topic of interest. And so after every one of my podcasts, I do a top takeaways review and what I suggest to everybody is take a look at that article, pick one of the top takeaways, take it to your team, have the discussion and raise awareness of awareness. Mm -hmm. Because that raising of awareness itself is a way to start having the conversation with people who may behave in such a way that they don't realize that they're having an impact and it's usually mm -hmm. a negative impact mm -hmm. on others mm -hmm. so maybe just having the conversation in the workplace raises awareness of awareness that is a good place to start it's very interesting a very interesting subject area and do you find any challenges within that do you find it what challenges would that particular subject bring I think there are two parts to it firstly is the question I'm often asked is too much self-awareness a bad thing and my my thought on that is that there is no such thing as too much self-awareness however if self-awareness falls into rumination 
and overthinking, then that can be really harmful. So I think when we are thinking about self-awareness, it has to be self-awareness that propels you forward. You So my, my definition of self-awareness and my model has three layers. It's reflection on your hard skills and soft skills, recognition of your impact and regulation of your behavior. So if you get stuck in that reflection, recognition, and you are overthinking, you're not in that mode of being able to move forward to regulate your behavior. And mm -hmm. really what we want within self-awareness is to learn something new about oneself so you can take that forward and change how you operate so that your impact on others is more positive and ultimately the impact that they ricochet back to you is also more positive. The other part of it, I think with self-awareness is acceptance when you have individuals who are of the belief that they are absolutely self-aware, I'm totally self-aware, I don't need to do any work on myself. And that is usually the place of, of having that, starting that difficult conversation of we are always changing and self-awareness is a journey and you never know yourself wholly because tomorrow something can happen and the day after you're working with somebody you've never worked with before which mm -hmm. means that you're always in a slightly new situations which means you're responding in a different way so you are always changing and and not to accept that you are changing and therefore think that you know yourself 100 mm -hmm. all of mm -hmm. the time I think has a level of naivety that raising awareness of awareness has mm -hmm. to start unpicking yes you've made me think about something there getting stuck inside your own head and ruminating over things and in the past I would have been guilty of that mm -hmm. and for me self-awareness is knowing when to terminate that thought but moving on evolving learning moving on to the next thing and there's always something changing the following day you work with new people you've got a different situation and you, I agree with you completely. You're never, ever going to have that full self-awareness. And to even begin to say, yes, I'm fully self-aware, that that itself proves a lack of self-awareness. And it it's it's just a constant, it's a constant state of being, isn't it? Absolutely. Just, yeah. Yeah. It, I, I think self-awareness, that journey is cradle to grave. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think we ever really know ourselves. And my view on self-awareness is that, unless you involve other people in holding that mirror up to you it isn't really self-awareness it's just introspection so you need that ability to so you need that opportunity to link in with others to seek that feedback so that you have that 360 degree view of, mm -hmm. of you not just from the inside mm -hmm. so would you be in favor of mentorship then and working with someone well collaboratively in a working environment quite reg regularly for example um, that 360 that you mentioned that feedback that you're going to get it's not always going to be flowers and roses someone no, someone needs right. to be honest and that's how you learn and that's how you grow yeah definitely I think if if listeners have the opportunity to tap into a line manager who's very supportive or a mentor or a coach to give you that opportunity to raise that mirror in a constructive environment mm -hmm. I think that's really positive and I think it does demonstrate that you have a level of awareness that goes beyond um, superficial that you understand that 
feedback isn't always, as you said, it's not always pleasant and it's not always um, uh, easy to hear. But you need that if you want to understand how other people are viewing you and you want to change people's response to you. Yeah, definitely. And I'm just thinking about my own circumstances because I am always keen to learn and work with the team and I do my best to work collaboratively. And I've been aware in different roles where there's different styles of leadership and directive people come and say do this do this do this I've never had that approach I'd rather sit with people with a problem and say well we've got this problem what do you think what do you what do you think and collectively with those voices whether everyone comes up with the right thing to do or not the team together working on that particular project will usually come up with the best solution because they have the skills but the variance in those skills is what I believe creates the magic of the the brilliance of those projects. But the different style of leadership has always fascinated me. And one of the exercises that, that I do is just get people to sit down and think about the worst leader they've ever had mm-hmm. and then the very best leader that yeah. they've ever had. So and that, that usually yields some results, but it also for, it puts people in a position to think of those qualities that they've never actually vocalized before or, or given that much thought to. Yeah. So can you share a defining moment that's helped shape your leadership philosophy? There were two particular instances which really led me to study self-awareness and I worked in an organisation which had a number of different layers of individuals and and there were four layers of hierarchy and their their behaviours were negative, they were bullying, I think we'd probably call them these days, they were clicky etc and then I moved to a different organisation And I saw individuals who didn't have leadership within their job titles, they didn't line manage anybody, yet their compassion and their way to bring people together and a way to explain people's challenges and problems and represent people. And I and I tend to think of them as the sort of shop stewards of the 1970s and these two different groups of individuals they were so very very different but for me I kept coming back to these two situations to try and understand what it was that made me keep coming back to these stories and it was behavior it was hierarchy and it was leadership without a title which Mm -hmm. is where self-awareness leader effectiveness and leadership at all levels comes from so really as much as the first situation was was awful and it made me unwell it taught me so much and and I came away from that being very clear about what kind of leader I did not want to be Mm -hmm. um and and I talk a little bit more about that in my book but there, there is definitely we learn from difficult situations and we learn from positive situations exactly what you were saying earlier about imagine that leader who was the best leader you've ever worked with and mm-hmm. the worst leader you've ever worked with put those two things together and you draw out that learning and say this is how I want to be mm-hmm. so for me those are those two things are really defining moments in who I didn't want to be and who I really did want to be. How interesting, because I'm visualizing very senior managers in their in their lofty, very senior executive offices. And on the other hand, people down on the shop floor 
rolling their sleeves up, getting stuck in with genuine compassion, empathy, yeah. and understanding of what the actual issues are. Now, personally, for me, those those are values are very important to me: empathy, compassion, and working with people and communicating well with people and finding out just genuine building relationships understanding what it is that people need and want and that that image is, will probably stay with me for a while because that's that complete polar opposite is is basically what we're talking about isn't it in, in simple terms of, of leadership but the people who separate themselves not only with words but physically in my personal view they are so out of touch and the only way we're going to learn about organizations and the way to improve is data understanding what what is happening and the only way you can do that is by being present being there and knowing what's going on one of the things that came out of my study was this idea of strategic level disconnect and what you said earlier about that people being in in their offices and and being separated from the people that deliver their objectives that strategic level disconnect came out very loud and clear and one of the ways to mitigate against that was inclusive decision making which is what Mm -hmm. you talked about earlier Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you can get your team together you can share ideas and actually the ideas you come together to create are far richer than those that an individual who sits in an office with the door closed (laughs) can create so yeah very interesting and that that the way that you're talking about how you see the world from your perspective and your experiences definitely played out in in the research that I did and people Mm -hmm. were saying the same things it just makes logical sense because people are invested their creative energy their creative flow their thoughts or ideas are invested in whatever it is that you're working in so naturally they're going to want to make it work they're going to give it their all and it, it just for me it just makes perfect sense but it, when you've got that little bit of awareness of the structure and, and the hierarchy, when you see it in play in a, in a negative way, you, you just can't help but think, why, why don't you try something different, work in other ways, but basically just involving people. The core of it, people like to be talked to and they love to be listened to. Absolutely. And working in communications, that, that strip it all back, that just boils down to that. And yeah. in anything, not even in the working environment, it just boils down to very plain, simple communication and collaborating with people and listening. But it's fascinating listening to Yes. Do you have a leader, a role model that's inspired your leadership style and it doesn't have to be anyone famous? There are two managers that I will always go back to um, and they are on my LinkedIn. And um, and actually, they there are two managers that I go back to and one is Jan Worthing and Jan is on my LinkedIn and the other is Alison Lagier. And Alison podcast um, which is episode seven is the most popular one on my my (laughs) podcast and Jan um, she appointed me um, she was a a senior senior manager in a hospital and I really learned a lot about compassion and being people-centric by working with Jan working with Alison she was also caring she was also very intelligent, intellectual and caring and down to earth and had a background in NHS. She was she was a nurse herself. And I think those qualities, I'm still in touch with with Alison um, and, and often um, drop her a line just to say hello. But I think having watched their careers, they are people centric. They ensure that performance is achieved, high quality standards, and they always go back to the patient and the staff 
who deliver that to be able to achieve those quality standards. So yes, I think those two individuals are people I always go back to and think of in terms of that was a good leader. Interesting compassion. Definitely. Stands out for me there. So what challenges have you encountered as a female leader and how did you navigate those? It's interesting. I often think about this and I don't think that I've been in a position where being a female has negatively impacted me. Now, that might be because I come from a position of I know what I know. However, that may be that if somebody put a mirror up and said, did you see this? Did you appreciate that? Did you watch? Maybe they'd have a different view. But it's not something that I've had to fight against. However, what I will say is that as an introvert, I've probably had to fight more. So I've certainly got recollections of being in meetings and having thoughts and thinking I'm not going to share those thoughts because the people in this room don't make me feel safe enough to be able to share. Often they were men, but that's not to say that there weren't women within those groups as well. So I think for me, rather than being a female working through the career ladder I think being an introvert working up the career ladder is something that is is caught my attention more and mm-hmm. certainly in the last five years I've been told to say a bit more be a little bit louder within meetings share a little bit more but I'm always of the view that I'm only going to share something that I think is worthwhile sharing and I'm people who've heard me me speak on my podcast will know that I say that empty vessels make most noise and I struggle with the people who use a lot of words take up a lot of airspace but say very little so I tend to really guard against that and what I my preference is to think think a bit more and be absolutely certain about what I want to say and how I want to say it and then say it so that it's meaningful I'm smiling because I completely agree. I'm a natural <laughs> introvert. Uh-huh. And if, unless I feel safe or if I'm sure about what I'm about to say, then I won't say it. And it'll be yep. very considered and it'll be very thought out. Yes. And yes, I agree. There can be a lot of rattling going on in a meeting. But unless I am pretty sure of my my footing, I, I'd rather stay silent. If, if there's a burning issue, I'll, I will consider it very carefully before I say it. it no, interesting to hear that point of view that, you know, the, the introvert rather than than the, mm. the, the female issue. And I, I wonder whether listeners listening to your podcast and listening to my podcast, would they believe that either of us are an introvert? And I think we probably are, are good advertisements for people people who who are quieter warriors and who aren't sure whether they're capable of doing something like a podcast Mm -hmm. well the answer is absolutely yes yes and I've had to think about that myself and yeah you're right people might think well how can they possibly say that look at what they're doing but I am doing this completely on my own terms yes (laughs) and that's the difference I agree yeah yeah and and I, and I like that because I have complete control yeah. and you know, no one's watching me right now. I can do all the edits, but absolutely. And technology and social media has probably given a voice to a lot more introverts. And I also think a lot of people are more brave in saying that they're introverts. I know that people would be surprised to hear that about me because I, because of my job and I have to do a lot of things yeah. because it's my job, but not many of those things come naturally it's mm-hmm. t- it's been taught I've rehearsed I've been very well trained but my natural state of being 
is introvert close the door read a book no people yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think I think probably COVID really gave lots of introverts uh, a platform to shine because we were all stuck at home and lots of people did start up podcasts or they started writing blogs or they were attending zoom meetings with people in california and sydney and on across the world that they would have never done before and i think covid really opened doors for lots of introverts yes i think you're right and i can remember when covid first broke we did a lot of our meetings over the phone mm-hmm. and a few months later we got new computers and then we were doing video and I can remember thinking video you know horror of horrors it wasn't a family member it was my colleagues and now we don't even think about it anymore no, and and I don't. love that I, I love the fact that we all had to learn pretty quickly over COVID but look at the advancements that that we've had and you know this podcast that we're doing now you and I can see each other even though the, the audio is there but I love the fact that that changed the landscape for, yeah. for everyone and introverts absolutely you know it was it was do or die be bored or do nothing over COVID and yeah. a lot of people chose to to learn something new so can you share a specific instance where you turned a setback into an opportunity for growth? In 2019, my organisation decided to restructure and my role was made redundant. And I'd been a part of and I'd led a restructure in that organisation a couple of years before. So I always had this idea of if they'll do it with you, they'll do it to you. So I always had this idea in my back pocket what I might do if I was the next person to be made redundant. So I made the choice and I was actually quite excited when when the organisation said two roles are going to be put into one. Um, I ran home and said to my husband, OK, what are we going to do? We need to do something different. Started looking for jobs. There weren't any jobs in Wales that were at the level that I wanted. And, and the financial situation in Wales at the time was such that people were either staying in their senior roles or roles were being closed down after they'd mm-hmm. left. So the opportunities just weren't there. So I kept looking and the only places that I could see lots of opportunities were in London. So I said to my husband, you know, the, the redundancy and the, the role finishes around February time. What are we going to do? Shall we just go to London and see what happens? So we did. We packed <laughs> our bags. We we rented a flat that we'd never seen. We <sighs> sold all our furniture and we turned up to London and we said, well, something's going to happen, isn't it? It'll it'll work out. What an adventure. It, yeah, absolutely. And five years later, we are still here and, and I absolutely love it. Wales runs through me like a stick of rock, I will mm-hmm. say. Um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, that was one of those situations where did I stay in the organisation and have to fight for my role? But it was an organisation I'd been in for about eight years and absolutely loved my role. Mm. And I wanted to leave that organisation whilst I still loved it, because mm-hmm. having worked in it, other places that I really did not love, um, it had taken me too long to get out. And by the time I did get out, I just hated it. So I'd, I'd already been thinking I need to leave this role whilst I still love it. So it it all happened uh, at the right time. It was serendipitous and and was one of those things. And here I am, um, director in a children's charity in the east of England and loving every minute of it. That sounds incredible. I love the spontaneity. (laughs) Shall we go? Yes. (laughs) Let's do it. 
on there are worse places to be than London and I know what yeah, you mean about London. about Wales I, I'm from Ireland originally obviously and I live in, in England and, and I miss Ireland so so much but I get back a lot but it's it's my home Ireland will always be my home absolutely yeah so I did want to talk about your book absolutely so tell me about that my book so it's called the self-awareness superhighway uh, charting your leadership journey and it's uh, a translation of my doctoral thesis so the very first day that I went into the library in 2016 I thought I'd have a look to see what was around because I suspected that my my interest was going to be around emotional intelligence that sort of thing and I found a book that was a I guess a textbook of of how do you develop your emotional intelligence and it had a CD at the back and you know it was proper back in in the early or the mid 2000s when CDs were all the rage and you could do your (laughs) modules on your CDs and things and I thought this is what I want to create at the end I want to have something that's useful to people that what I learn is meaningful useful and people can put it into practice so when I finished my doctorate in 2021 I couldn't really, I couldn't work out how I was going to translate my doctorate into a business book. So that's how the podcast was born as a way of, I can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll help me write about it. And a year later, I still hadn't started to write my book. And I was very fortunate to find a book coach. So Steph Caswell, if anybody's interested in writing a book, Steph Caswell is just brilliant. And Steph helped me develop the structure and to pull all the things that would be relevant to people from my thesis into a business book. And of course, by that time, I had 12 months worth of podcast conversations Mm -hmm. that helped me bring all of those thoughts and ideas from my research alive. So that is what my book is all about. It's about taking my research, taking my 25 years of experience in the world of work and taking my conversations from my podcast guests and putting them all together so that they create a guidebook really for readers to create their own self-aware leadership journey on their self-awareness superhighway. That sounds fascinating. And look at the rich tapestry of experience knowledge research and the journey that you've had to get to that I will absolutely read that and being interested in leadership myself that will definitely be next on my list wonderful well my intention is that it will be out in in bookshops and in Amazon from early April 2024 and that's the first time I've said that out loud I usually say (laughs) spring but I'm going to put my money on April so early April it should be available I shall hold you accountable that's really (laughs) exciting that's only three months away it is yes (laughs) so my I'm I'm very lucky that my book coach also works with a self-publishing publisher Mm -hmm. so they have been copy editing uh, proofreading and shortly it'll be going to the formatter I'm also very lucky I found a graphic designer in Wales not not far from where my home is and he's helping me with the front cover and a few things inside as well so it's not just me I've, I've for the parts that I really have no idea about I've, I've dipped into some professional help and they have just been brilliant there's that word serendipitous <laughs> everything <laughs> has just come together when yep. it needed to yeah I love right. that that is uh, so exciting I'm really excited for you do let me know I will be your your first customer <laughs> so working in leadership working anywhere really can 
take its toll. It's hard to balance things. So how do you manage a work-life harmony? I don't like to use the word balance. Some people don't like the word balance. So how do you how do you harmonize your life? Well, back in 2004, I got really sick and uh, no diagnosis. Um, all I can tell you is that I was off work for about five months. I just slept most of the time, whether it's some sort of virus, I have no idea. And it took me a long time to get back into the world of work. What really helped me was complementary therapy. So I tried acupuncture, reflexology, Reiki, um, complementary medicine, craniosacral therapy, tried lots of different things and they definitely helped. But I was very lucky when I went back to work, a friend of mine found a reflexology course that I could study to become a reflexologist on the weekend. So I studied for, I think it was about a year and a half, the course, and I became a reflexologist in 2006. And I practiced until 2016 when I went back to university. So I'm really, I'm a real advocate of complementary therapies and how they can support. So reflexology is always my go-to, but these days, when I find a yoga class that I can get into, because there's lots of waiting lists around where yes. I live at the moment. So I like to do yoga, but I've recently managed to find a Tai Chi class after uh, uh, the last Tai Chi class I left was about 13 years ago, and I've just managed to find a new one. So I'm back into doing Tai Chi as a way of switching off. I also aim to do as much meditation as I can, whether it's two minutes here or five minutes mm -hmm. there or 10 minutes before I go to sleep. I like meditation because you can pick it up and put it down whenever you want to. Mm -hmm. you, you just sit in the chair or sit somewhere comfortable as long as you're not driving. You know, that meditation is a great thing that you can tap into. I, I do enjoy doing my podcasting and writing and I'm, as well as working full time. But I'm, I am conscious that, you know, some when it gets to eight o'clock at night, I do have to switch off and just watch some watch some dross on the TV. And, and that's a good way of just chilling out before going to bed. That sounds like the perfect harmony. And you sound like a very busy lady, but very, very rounded, fulfilled, a lot of variety and very different extremes from what you do in the day, which has got to keep your your focus. It's good to shift your focus away from what you do in the day is what I'm trying to say. And the meditation, yeah. I completely agree. I do a little five minute meditation most days and I tend to stick to the same one, but I quite like it because I know what's coming and I throughout the day I remind myself that I, I've done that particular meditation but the reflexology I'm really interested in that and I, I agree with you I've tried complementary therapies as well and I think there's a, a lot more research and a lot more awareness that can be done and it's yeah just something else that to be explored and I know a lot of um, therapists as well and it just depends on who you meet and on what they've studied and that builds your own knowledge but no really interesting thank you okay my final question what legacy do you hope to leave as a leader and how do you measure the impact of your leadership? And I'm thinking the biggest legacy you're going to have is your book. <laughs> Whoa, that is a very big question. I think the book, yes, but it, for me, it's what the book achieves. And, and really, it's about not when we go into the world of work to do our level best not to make somebody else's work life awful. So if we go back to the first um, example that I gave of those individuals who I worked with who made my work life awful, mm -hmm. it was horrible and I hated going to work for those two and a half years that I was there. And that if I can reduce the number of people that are 
doing that to others that are impacting others and creating that awful work environment if I can do a little bit of something to reduce that that's what I would like my legacy to be that would be an incredible legacy and my measurement of that is the Sunday night test yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go to work on a Monday morning. Yeah, yeah. and I, I've I've had been in in jobs where uh, the Sunday night test hasn't worked, and I've known you know Monday's coming. I'm not feeling too happy about that, and that is when you know you need to make a change. And sometimes the thought of making the change is scary, but what you're facing is even more scary. And yeah. to to be the person to implement that change to make lives better for people. I'd say that that's a pretty incredible legacy and the behaviours behind what we're talking about is, you know, we we mentioned at the start of the podcast, you know, those negative behaviours will forever baffle me because, you know, well, it's another podcast, isn't it? But to me, you know, you go to work, we've all got to, we've got each, we've got to pay our bills and I like to get through my working day as happily as I possibly can (laughs) with as much positivity and I just, you know, you have the, you've got the potential to set the tone for the people that you work with. So you can go in miserable or you can go in happy. And I choose to go in happy. And yes. that has a ripple effect. And yeah. I'm very sensitive to other people's moods as well. So I, I, the only thing that I can control is me and yeah. my mood. So I think that legacy um, would be inc- an incredible one to, le- to leave. And I'm pretty sure that you will be. And I'm also pretty sure that won't be your final book either. <laughs> well there's another idea bubbling (laughs) so you never know yeah oh well that'll be project number two it's been such a pleasure speaking with you thank you so much and I've I've learned a lot talking to you and I like to see different perspectives and I also love to hear other people's experiences and insights so thank you so much for your time and it's been an absolute pleasure thank you I thoroughly enjoyed it and good luck with your new podcast thank you very much Thank you for listening to the Leadership Insights podcast today and special thanks to my lovely guest, Dr. Nia Thomas. Join me on the next episode for more inspirational leadership stories and insights. You can follow me on Instagram at Coach Amanda Jane or visit my website amandajane.co.uk. Bye for now.